Heavenly Father, we do thank you again, Lord, for just the way that you've brought us here together this morning, Lord. Um, we thank you for the, the fact that Jesus is the living word of God, as we've just sung, that he is coming. We thank you, Lord, that the word, Jesus, the word was with God from the beginning, and he is God. He is the God, um, God the Son. And so, Lord, we pray that not just the living word might bless us this morning, but the written word as we study it this morning, the written word might be applied to our hearts. I mean, we might not just be hearers of the word, but also doers. Lord, we pray that the, that the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts might be pleasing and acceptable to you this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. If you can turn to your Bibles to the book of Titus, chapter 2, it's found on page 1182 of the Church Bibles, Titus chapter 2, on page 1182. So it's in the T books, we have Thessalonians, Timothy, and then Titus, the T books of the Bible, um, Titus chapter 2. Let's hear the word of the Lord. You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperament, temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled and sound in faith, in love and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderous or addicted to too much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they, can be, then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be sub subject to their husbands so that no one would malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because, of, because they have nothing to, bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted, so, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These then are the things you should teach, encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. This is the word of God. Now, if you're a member of Jemoyne Baptist Church, you should be fairly familiar with the book of Titus. Um, I asked some questions of people earlier this morning about the book of Titus and um, I was surprised by the answer, actually, that not many people are very familiar about the book, with the book. Um, when we consider the appointment of elders, 
we send out chapter one of the book of Titus, um, and you can see in chapter one there, just on the page, if you just have a look over the page in verse five, Paul says, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Um, and then he follows through with the qualifications for the elders from verse six onwards. So we normally send this out to members of the church just to, um, in terms of qualifications for, for elders. So we would be fairly familiar with that. And hopefully we do go through it when these nominations come out. Now, when people were baptised, if you think back to when the last, Zach and Gabby were baptised, chapter 3 of Titus. So if you go have a look at chapter 3, um, from verse 3 to 8, it gives a beautiful summary of the gospel there. If you want a really good summary of the gospel, that's a really good one to, to look at. And so people who are baptised recite that passage from verse 3. Verse... Four and five are my favourites there. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. So we have Titus chapter 1 and we have Titus chapter 3. So we've covered almost the whole book. So what I'm going to preach about today is in Titus chapter 2. So if, um, you can have a look at chapter 2 there. And Paul sets before us just some instructions for Titus on what to teach the people. What, do, what does he teach to the people of Crete? Um, and we see that in verse 1. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. So Paul's saying to Titus, what, what are you going to teach? Teach what's appropriate to sound doctrine. And who is he to teach? And we see that in verse 2. And we see in verse 2, older men. Verse 3, older women. Verse 4, younger women. Verse 6, young men. Verse 9, slaves. Or in today's terms, employee, employees, anyone who has a master. Um, so we have here in Crete, as in our church this morning, um, a wide section, cross-section of different age groups, different people, different genders, um, similar to the, to the church at Crete. And that's why we really love having young people you know, in our service. We really love having older people in our service as well. Um, I, suppose, I suppose I qualify in the leather bracket. Um, but yeah, so, and Paul stipulates specific things that need to be taught for those particular people. So over our lifetime, we have different issues that come up. Um, and as Christians, we have different things that come up depending on our age as well. Um, and so Paul gives some specific requirements there for these people. And what's the purpose of this teaching? Um, obviously, you know, these qualities glorify God. But what does Paul say in verse 9? What's the purpose of Titus teaching these different age groups and genders um, these things. In verse 9 it says, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive. So the purpose of us living the way God wants us to live is to make the gospel attractive. And by making the gospel attractive we bring glory to God. So in a way we do live life, godly lives you know, because it's good for us as well. That's the way God wants us to do. But our lives are to bring honour to him. And make the gospel attractive so people can not just hear our words but actually see our actions. Okay? They, know that we're, they know we are believers by our, our lives and our love for each other and the way we live. So what is he to teach? Okay, so the, the Cretans, um, I'll call them Cretans because <laughs> that's where they are, they're from Crete. You know, for them to live godly lives, we see that from verse 2 to 10. Um, and there were false teachers in the church at that time. 
Um, in verse 16 of chapter 1, these false teachers are said to um, claim to know God, but that by their actions they actually deny him. So this is, yeah, you've got to think about people who just talk the talk um, and not walk the walk. These false teachers saying, oh, yeah, God, this, God, that, yet by their actions they're denying God. So um, the purpose here is Paul is saying, well, no, your actions need to reflect what you believe and what you preach. Um, so he, he need, he's telling the Cretans, you need to live godly lives to reflect what God has done in you. So we need to be consistent in our behaviour as people who know God. And so this is what Paul actually says in the very first verse of Titus. So I'm, I'm just sort of going, giving you a background at the moment. So if you have a look at the very first verse of Titus, chapter 1, verse 1, Paul starts his, his whole book by saying, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth... Does he stop there? No. Knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. So knowledge of truth and doctrine is not just an academic exercise. It needs to lead to living the way God wants us to live. And so the purpose of the truth and hearing the truth is not just for discussion, not just for study, not just for reading. The purpose of knowledge and doctrine is to transform us. Okay. So I don't know if you're like me, but when I read these requirements in Scripture and what God expects of us um, and rec general requirements for Christians in general, I just feel so inadequate. Um, these behaviours sometimes seem unachievable. I mean, you look at some of these expectations from the Cretans, um, what Paul Titus is to teach them, and it seems unachievable. I mean, we might be able to achieve it here on a Sunday morning when we're you know, nice and fresh and singing songs and being with Christians. But during the week, tomorrow morning, we go back to our employment. Um, do we find that it's easy or difficult to, up, to uphold these requirements from God? Um, but they are necessary to make the gospel attractive to the world. So how do we meet these requirements? How do we do it? How do we even get close to meeting these requirements as, as people who by nature are sinful and who are dead to God? How do we do it in our workplace? How do we meet these requirements at home, in our families, at school, kids? How do you, you know, do what God wants you to do? How do we do it? Now, you might say, well, in Crete, it's okay in Crete because they didn't have internet, they didn't have TV, they didn't have... Um, the temptations that we have today, so the early Christians, it would have been easy for them to exercise self-control. But um, it's interesting looking at the background of, of the Cretan believers. Um, in verse 12 of chapter 1, if you have a look at that, um, it gives us an idea of the background of these people. Paul says, one of Crete's own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars evil brutes, lazy gluttons. And what does Paul say here? Does he say, oh, no, that's not true? No, have a look at verse 13. Paul says, this saying is true. <laughs> um, so it's not very subtle by Paul, and it's not very complimentary. Um, they had a reputation. Before we had kids, Ali and I actually went to Crete. We travelled around, we drove around, beautiful country. Um, 
But when you walk past the souvenir shops, you've got to sort of close your eyes sometimes. There's pottery there that dates around the time of when Paul and Titus wrote this, wrote this letter to Titus. And it's just, the images on the pottery is just so vulgar. Um, they, they lived in a time which was just as immoral as ours, if not more immoral. Um, they, had, they faced temptations even more so than what we did. Um, and they didn't have the, a lot of the devices and things that we have now that actually help us um, to meditate on God and things like that. So, um, yeah, the Cretans, they were rude beasts in their behaviour, um, lacked self-control. But in a way, we're all brute beasts and we're all Cretans by nature, um, all of us. And if you've paid attention to the psalm, Psalm 73, that was read, Les read to us this morning, in verse 22, the psalmist says, I was like a beast toward you, Nevertheless, I am continually with you and you hold my right hand. Even the psalmist says to God, I'm, in, I'm like a beast towards you. Um, so he was like a brute beast towards God. And in a sense, deep inside, all of us are like that. We're all ignorant beasts towards God. Um, we go for temptations like a... I don't know if you've seen these great white sharks when they go to get to bite into a prey, their eyes roll up. And they just we go for temptations sometimes just the same way as these great white sharks... These beasts go for their prey. Um, we ignore God. We ignore. We know we're doing the wrong thing, but we just go for it. Um, and this is the reputation that the Cretans had. Anyone from Crete here this morning, by the way? <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, yeah, but we're all like that. We're all like the Cretans. So we can't say, oh, it was all right for them. It's easy for them. We're all in the same boat. Um, we all ignore, many times, ignore the consequences of our yielding to temptation. So how are these ignorant brute beasts meant to meet these requirements that God stipulated there in chapter 2? How do they do it? And it's interesting, um, the world actually tells us, listen, you've been too harsh on yourself. Someone will come in this morning and say, you guys are just fanatics, you know, why do you, why do you worry about that? You don't need to be like this, you just need to try to be like that. You know, you try your best. Um, don't be fanatics. But it's interesting from verse 2, if you have a look at verse 2 there in chapter 2, Paul doesn't say try to be self-controlled. He doesn't say try to be temperate um, to the older men. What does he say? He says be temperament, be worthy of respect, be self-controlled. And what does he say to the older women? Be reverent. And to the younger women in verse 5, be self-controlled. The younger men, be self-controlled. So he's not saying try, he's actually be which is a different, completely different way of looking at it. We're to be these things. Um, but how can we be? How can it happen? How can we... We know we can't try because we'll never make it, but how can we be these things? And the answer there is found in verse 11. And this is the section I actually want to preach on this morning. Um, verse 11. Have a look at verse 11. There's one word there, the third, ver the third word. How can we live as God wants us to be, to, to live? For the grace of God has appeared. So the word therefore actually connects the previous section. So Paul's saying you've got to do this, you know, you've got to be, be this, be that. For or because the grace of God has appeared. That's the link. That's the key. Um, and that's what we, I'm going to unpack here this morning just to see what, what does that mean. So there's no other way. How do we do it? It's only by the grace of God. 
So the Christian life actually isn't difficult. It's not difficult at all. It's actually impossible. The Christian life is impossible without the grace of God in our lives. Um, there's no other way to be right with God and there's no other way to live pleasing to God without the grace of God. Okay, so you might say, well, sure, okay. Um, how does... Grace is the answer, but how does grace help me? I'm going to leave this service this morning. I'm going to go back home. I'm going to go back to work tomorrow, um, back to school tomorrow, kids. How does God's grace help us in our struggles with temptations? How does it help? Well, let's have a look at grace. Um, let's have a look at what grace is first, and then we'll have a look at when did it appear. So Ephesians 2.8 is a really good passage for that, Ephesians 2.8. Um, for it is, the great, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So grace is a gift, it's unearned. We don't, we don't work for a gift, it's given to us. Um, God's undeserved love to man revealed in Jesus, that's what grace is, it's undeserved love of God revealed in Christ to us. And it's not by works, Okay, it's a gift that we receive. Now we notice in Scripture a lot, particularly in the New Testament, grace is actually distorted. There's two distorted views of grace. Um, on one hand, people say, well, we need to add works to grace. So you find that in a lot of religions today. They say, yeah, sure, God's grace, you know, we're saved by faith through grace. But they'll also say, well, but you need to do these sacraments and you need to do this and you need to walk up that hill and you need to, you know, pray certain prayers or whatever. Um, but that's, that's this distorted view of grace. We don't need to do that. It's a legalistic view of grace. It means that we need to add something to it, and grace isn't like that at all. But then there's the other extreme of grace where people say, oh, yeah, I'm saved by grace. Um, you know, I can still live what I like and do what I like. And grace is a licence for them just to live their own lifestyle, thinking that there's a safety net there, that there's an insurance policy, that they're saved... Um, but that's another extreme, and that's also a false teaching. Um, the passage we go through today actually corrects both of those views. Now, go back to verse 11. It says, the grace of God has appeared. When did God's grace appear? It says, for the grace of God has appeared. When did it appear? Okay, so the, the word appear in Greek is epiphano, which means, we get epiphany, which means to become visible. Um, it's also the same word described in a, when the sun appears in the morning. Um, when did the grace of God appear? So we turn now to John chapter 1, verse 1, the book of John. Now, I haven't got a page number because I've got the big version of the Bible there. Um, but the book of John, 1, verse 1, I just want to read a couple of verses through there. So in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then if you go down to verse 14, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Okay, so God's grace appeared in the Son of God, or God the Son. So the Word was with God in the beginning, and the Word then became flesh and dwelt among us. In Jesus. And the word, Jesus, was full of grace. There's that word of grace again, and truth. 
So God's, God's grace did not appear in a, in a philosophy. It didn't appear in a religious um, text. It appeared in a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. But how does grace help me? Okay, so the first way grace helps us is in verse 11 again. The grace of God has appeared, offers salvation to all people. So grace helps us by actually offering salvation. And what it means by all people is all types of people, Jews, Gentiles, young, old, of all different ages. So God's grace comes to give us salvation. Um, what are we saved from? Why do we need salvation? What's the problem? Romans 3.23 tells us that all of us have sinned and all of us fall short of God's requirements and God's glory. So none of us can say we haven't sinned. We, we all, we've all fallen short of God's glory. Um, in fact, in John 8.34, it tells us we're all slaves of sin. Um, whoever commits sin, Jesus says, is a slave of sin. So if you, ask, if you do a search of what the biggest problem is in the world today, um, if you do a Google search... Um, recent studies have shown people will say, well, it's financial. The biggest problem is health, number two, I think. Number three is relationships. Number four is the workplace. Number six is injustice. Seven is emptiness. And ten is a haunting past. They're the biggest problems that people identify. And do any of those problems keep you up at night? Um, but yes, there are problems, but are they real problems? Or are they just symptoms of a greater problem? And the Bible tells us that the biggest problem today is not financial, social or environmental. Our biggest problem is sin. And sin is what is at the root of every problem we have in the world today. And that's why Jesus came. The name Jesus actually means Yahweh saves. And in Matthew 121, it tells us that she will give birth to a son, Mary will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's why Jesus came, to save us from our sins. Okay, so how is that a problem? How is sin a problem? You know, can't we just live with it? Well, Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death. So sin will bring eternal death to us, um, and that's why it's a problem, and that's why we need salvation, and that's why we need grace. Um, and Jesus is the only way. Acts 4.12 tells us that salvation is found in no one else, no other name under heaven, given among men by which we must be saved. All right, so the first way grace helps us is it saves us. It provides salvation. How else does grace help us? Um, and now we need to put our 3D chameleon awareness now <laughs> so that children's talk wasn't for just something to tag on. Grace actually has a present view and in this passage it has a forward view and it has a backward view as well. And it helps us in those... It helps us live godly lives by having those three views. Um, so let's have a look at the backward view first. What happened when grace first appeared? Okay, so we look back to when grace first appeared. Verse 14 tells us about Jesus who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people who are his very own. So we look back to what Jesus did on the cross and he redeemed us. Now, we saw earlier when Paul said to the slaves that um, they need to have certain um, characteristics. The word redeemed to a slave would have said, wow, um, back then, that would have been a very... They knew what redemption was. Slaves knew what redemption was. 
So the word used is like buying a slave out of the market so as to give them freedom. That's what redemption means. So if you're a slave in, in Crete and you heard the word redemption, that's a very important word for you. Um, so before we met Christ, all of us were slaves to sin. The Bible says we're all slaves to something. Um, we were slaves to sin. And so Jesus paid that redemption price by his own blood um, to free us from that bondage of sin. Ephesians 1.7 tells us, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. There's that word grace again. So we've been redeemed because of the, according to the riches of his grace. Um, you find that word grace, Paul just scatters it all the way through the New Testament. Um, it's, it's really why we are here today. So Jesus gave himself as a redemption, as a redemption price for us, but he also, in verse 14, says, purifies for himself a people for his own. So Jesus, Jesus bought us from the slave market and then he cleanses us from all the filth and he clothes us. Um, and he bought us and we belong to him now. Okay, We don't belong to ourselves, that's what it says there. Purified a people for his own, we belong to Christ. Okay, He's our master when we, when we repent and turn to him. So that's the backward view. Um, how does grace help us in the present? How can these brute beasts of Crete meet God's requirements? And how can these brute beasts of Moines meet God's requirements in the present? Verse 12, it says, The grace of God appeared. And what does it do in verse 12? It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. So how does grace help us in the present? It teaches us. It trains us. Um, the word there is um, it's like pedagogy, which is like pedagogy, which um, is the training of children. Um, so, or like personal instruction. It's like grace is our personal trainer. So a lot of you here, especially you can see the physical specimens that are in our church, that they have, physical, they have personal trainers that sort of tell them um, what not to do. Um, and here grace is telling us to say no to, um, to, self, to ungodliness. And so the personal trainer would say, say no to that Krispy Kreme donut. It's like that. It's that the grace teaches us to say no. Um, and everyone here today has a personal trainer, whether you know it or not. Either your personal trainer is grace or your personal trainer is sin. Okay? And you listen to sin. And sin's not going to tell you say no. Sin's going to tell you, say yes. Okay? So we all have a personal trainer, whether we like it or not. And the question is, who do we listen to? So Romans 6.14 tells us, For sin shall no longer be your master. So this is talking about the master, the personal trainer. Because you are not under law, but under grace. Okay, there's that word again. Who is your master? Who is your personal trainer? Sin or grace? So what, if grace teaches, what does it teach us? First, negatively, in verse 11, or 12, I think it should say, grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly pleasures. So ungodliness really means that we put ourselves in the position of God, and we ignore God, and so we just do what we want. Um, we're irreverent to God, and we, we don't acknowledge him. Um, worldly passions, well, John tells us what poor passions are in John 2.16. He describes them as the lust of the flesh, 
lust of the eyes and the, the pride of life. Um, so grace teaches us to say no to these. And before we were saved, we couldn't say no. We just gave in. I mean, sometimes you have willpower, but eventually you just give in. Um, but now that we've saved, we can say no. And it's not like a calm no that you give when someone like invites you to their place for a drink or something. You say, oh, no. This is a severe no. This is a hard no. Um, grace teaches us... The no, the no that grace teaches us is a no of self-denial. It's a tough no, and it can feel like losing an arm or a leg. Um, it can feel like losing an eye. Um, and Jesus says that in Matthew 5.24. It's really tough refusing to gratify that inner brute beast that is, that is in us that barks for satisfaction. Okay, we're, Although we're redeemed, there's still that nature in us that wants to be satisfied, that flesh. Um, so our personal trainer is there talking to us and confronting us. And think about it. When we're, you know, sometimes we know that God's there with us or we, we you know, always know that he's with us. When we can say no to things that in the past we couldn't say no to, um, you hear that voice rise up within you, no, okay, not anymore when that temptation comes. You feel it, you know it, you hear it as believers. And that's the personal coach speaking to us and training us. So we are empowered to say no. And how does it work? Well, without going into a lot of doctrine, but the Galatians is really good, the book of Galatians. I know Jacob's studying that, but in Galatians 5.16, it says, Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And the passage that Les read for us in Ezekiel, God says, I give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will make my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be be careful to keep my laws. So grace teaches us to say no by the power of the indwelling spirit that is in us. Okay, so that's the negative side of the teaching. What's the positive side of the teaching? So the personal trainer says, listen, don't eat this stuff, don't go there, Um, but the personal trainer will also say, well, you need to exercise, you need a good diet. And that's what grace does to us too. In verse 12 it says, grace teaches us to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. So grace not only tells us what not to do, but also what to do, like any good trainer will do. There's things that we need to stop doing and things that we need to start doing. And so positively, what are we to be doing? Well, verse 12 says... Self-control, um, upright lives, and being godly. Now, if you look at those three things, one is an inward-focused one, like self-control. It's a relationship with ourselves. Um, living upright lives is, is like the relationships to others. And then being godly is our relationship to God. So it's that three-dimensional view of ourselves that um, grace teaches us to say yes to. Um, so how do we get self-control? We looked at that through the Spirit. And if it's interesting in Galatians chapter 5, which I was going to read, but um, I'll just talk about it, where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Um, the fruit of the Spirit, there's love, joy, peace, which is our upward relationship to God. Then there's patience, kindness, goodness, which is our relationship with each other. And then there's um, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control, which is like our inward um, relationship with, the, with ourselves. 
So what grace is teaching us to do is in those three areas is to say yes to, to those qualities that God has given us. So we say no to ungodliness, but we say yes to love, joy, peace, our relationship with God, with others, and um, our meditations within. And it's all through the Spirit of God. So going back to the, the people from Crete, how can the older men say no to sin? Because they've been trained by grace and empowered by the Holy Spirit to exercise self-control. How can older women say no to gossip? Because they're trained by grace and they can, they're empowered by the Spirit to love their neighbour and love God. How can young men of Crete say no to lust? Or how can the young men of Australia say no to lust? The young believers? Because they're trained by grace, empowered by the Holy Spirit to love God and to exercise self-control. So we live in a world that says yes, yes, yes to sin. <clears throat> and it says actually yes, yes, yes to wrong and no, no, no to truth. We see that all the time. You see some of the things coming up um, in our society. And it's how can people actually say yes to that? It's completely wrong. That's the world we live in. But grace tells us to acknowledge the truth, to say no to unrighteousness and, say, and to say yes to the truth. Okay, so grace helps us in the past, it helps us in the present, and then I'll finish off with grace helping us in the future. And we see that in verse 13. Um, While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing and glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So grace appeared the first time in God in the flesh as a human, in Jesus. The second time it's going to appear in glory. Um, and Matthew 24, 44 says, Therefore you must be ready for the Son of Man is coming, at an hour you do not expect. Okay, many of us think of the future in terms of settling down, you know, getting a really good relationship, buying a house, having kids, building wealth. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's all good, good stuff. But we can get caught in the trap of actually looking to accumulate these things. You know, we speculate to accumulate rather than looking forward to, to Christ's return. Um, in a sense, we end up worshipping these things rather than seeing them as tools that God's given us to bring glory to him. Um, and I struggle with this too. I'm always, in the back of my mind, speculating to accumulate things, you know, and you've just got to say no to that and, and focus. And this is why we need to have that forward view of, of Christ. We need to have an eternal perspective on how we live, live in the light of eternity. And grace helps us by pointing to the future. So who are we waiting for in verse 13? And this is a really powerful um, declaration of the, of the di divinity of Christ. A lot of, us, a lot of people struggle with how is Jesus God? I mean, Jesus is just a human, but what does it say there? The appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Okay, and you see God and Saviour used, you see Saviour used a lot in Titus. Um, and it's used for God, it's used for Jesus, it's used for God, it's used for Jesus. Here it's actually combined, our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Um, so we live in, the, in between the two comings of Christ. We look in the past, we saw the cross, we look in the future. We're in that period between his, um, before his final kingdom will be set up. And so is our focus set on Christ's return? Have we received the gift of grace that he brings, the salvation that he brings? Okay, so this morning, there's only really three things that any of us 
are thinking about this morning, even right now. You know, they're things that happened yesterday or in the past. They're things on our mind. They're the things right now that are, you know, bothering us. And then there's things that we're just worried about that happen tomorrow or in the future. Everything really falls into those three categories. Um, it pretty much covers it all. But many of us look back and we're actually haunted by it. Um, there might be regrets and failures. We can see missed opportunities, you know, broken relationships that we've damaged. Um, many people forget the past and they just live for today and ignore the future as well and just live for today. There's a lot of younger people these days who just want to party. So they forget the past. But they're the wrong ways to look at the past. If we trust in Jesus, he cleans the past. He wipes all the sin away. Um, and when we look back, we don't see our sin. We see his grace. In the present, are we say, saying no to ungodliness? Um, we're not brute beasts anymore. We were, like the, the Cretans were. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. And as believers, we can say no to God uh, and we can say yes to what is right. Sorry, no to ungodliness and say yes to what is right. And in the present, are we looking to that blessed hope, the appearing of, of grace? The next time it's going to appear, it's not going to come um, offering salvation. The next time grace or Jesus appears, he's going to be coming in judgment. Um, and so there's only really two outcomes from the coming of Christ for us. One is we he takes us up to be with him if we're his children, or we go into judgment. And so when we look ahead to the future, um, what is our situation? Where do our thoughts go? Do they go to worry and concern, or do they go in hoping and, and waiting for that appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ? So let's consider that. Let's consider looking back, consider forward, consider the present. We need God's spirit amongst us. So come, Lord Jesus. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word. Lord, we thank you that you've taken us out of that kingdom of darkness, Lord. You've taken us from death and you've put us into the kingdom of light. You've brought us into life through Jesus Christ. Thank you for your grace, Lord. Thank you for your grace that is unearned, undeserved, Lord, that you've lavished on us, your people. We thank you so much for the redemption we have You've, you've freed us from that slave market, Lord. You've cleansed us and we, you've made us a people, your very own. And so, Lord, this morning we pray that we can, Lord, live in the light of eternity. We can look back to see what Jesus is and remember what he's done for us, but also look ahead and look forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in glory. And so we, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, the song we're going to sing, and Ben will come up and introduce it, but... Um, it's all about grace. It looks at the, looks at the present, it looks at the past. So if you look at um, verse 3 in particular, your grace that I cannot explain, not by my earthly wisdom, the prince of life without a stain was traded for this sinner. By grace I am redeemed, by grace I am restored, and now I freely walk into the arms of Christ my Lord. <clears throat>